And we are live on Zoom. And we apologize to the Sipsters this evening. We are about 90 seconds behind schedule due to some technical difficulties. Still alarming to me that we can land a rover on Mars uh, with pinpoint accuracy, uh, but just getting some connections between Knights Valley and Naples, Florida seems to prove highly elusive. So hello, Annette Barger, Barbie Heffernan, Debbie Long, Doug Rutherford, who I know is freezing some appendage off in Minnesota, Ellie Sanford Moore, Hans and Caitlin Greasy, Jan Kiefer, Janet Kowal, Jeff and Jane Greasy, Julie Fogarty, Catherine Jurica, Leah Dunn, Mark Chalinor, Nelson Holding is in twice, Nick Schram, Peter Glick, everyone logging in because it is Friday night, the Sipsters are in the house, uh, and we've got a very, very special evening this evening. We're going to be talking just about this fantastic property behind me, which is out of this world cool. Uh, many of you have probably driven by it, and I'll get into more of that a little bit later about how you have driven by this and not even known it when we get to Google Earth. Uh, but honestly, welcome to SIP 46, 46 weeks and counting in a row, where we come together with some of the best wines in the world. And as I say all the time, we drink very serious wines. We just don't take ourselves too seriously. So that's the way it should be. I want to let people know that this is, if this is your first time here at SIP, many people right now in the comfort of their own living rooms are in fact drinking the Knightsbridge Chardonnay that is on the website. And you ask yourself, well, how did they get that ahead of me? They know people. Uh, they know people like us. And I will show you how they did that if I can find the screen I'm supposed to be sharing. And I believe it's this one because this will bring up the Seller Angels website. So the Seller Angels website is, is pretty comprehensive. And here you see the SIP virtual tasting kit, which has a whole bunch of wines in it for the next several weeks of SIP tastings. In fact, starting next week, we're doing four weeks of educational series where we're gonna only be tasting two wines, but it's gonna be you and me, all cameras on, a lot of questions, comparing and contrasting uh, different styles of wine, mountain fruit, valley floor fruit, blends, field blends. It's gonna be highly entertaining, highly educational. This is the wine we're drinking this evening, the Knightsbridge. So many folks several weeks ago came here, bought a sip kit, the Knightsbridge was in the sip kit. And that's exactly how they're drinking this wine that we're featuring this evening. I do want to show one other thing because many of us know people that have been impacted in Texas, ourselves included, with a mother-in-law who has a pipe that burst in Dallas, which is always fun to try to navigate that remotely. Uh, but every single transaction on Seller Angels actually requires you to pick a charity. And we are strongly recommended that everybody pick disaster relief at buying wine right now because WCK is on the ground in Texas. They're feeding people, World Central Kitchen, Chef Jose Andres. So there's nothing more powerful than great wine and great food. Uh, and when we can do it from the comfort of our own home and make a difference, that's what it's all about. So thank you so much for joining. You may, if you know Douglas Danielic personally or through pictures, this is not him. So we had some technical difficulties, which I started the hour off with, with regards to the Mars analogy. And this is Derek. Derek uh, is, was walking by the street and we just flagged him and pulled him inside. No, actually, I'm just teasing. Derek and I met about 90 seconds ago. So Derek, tell us who you are and what you do at the winery. 
Yeah, absolutely. Martin, thank you so much for the, the kind introduction. I know we don't know too much about each other, um, but I am the assistant winemaker with Knightsbridge. My name is Derek Baljou, and I do handle a lot of the, the actual wine work, if you will. So Douglas is the brains behind the operation, and you could think of me as the, the brawn, the one that fills the barrels and, you know, moves the grapes, all that good stuff. Well, so now, and it's interesting because, Doug, are you on? Douglas, I'm sorry. That's, I heard some feedback. So Douglas is on. He's just having video challenges, would be my guess. So, I'm having so video challenges. I, I, I do have some audio, though. So, All right. Douglas is at the tasting room in Calistoga. And for those of you that have, have not been to this tasting room, it, it's on a, it should be on your must visit list because it's in a bank and it's, you can do private tastings inside the bank vault, which is great because if you misbehave, they can just shut the door and, and you're not getting out. Uh, but it is a pretty cool environment to taste. And it, and it really kind of speaks volumes about everything that Knightsbridge does. And you, you have top to bottom portfolio, vineyard property, people, everything is par excellence. They don't take a lot of chances. They're in Knights Valley. Uh, they don't leave a lot to chance, I should say. And and Derek is going to kind of walk us through the portfolio uh, to describe. Well, first, actually, I want to raise a glass to everybody who's muscling through the technical difficulties with us. And, and hopefully I want to see and hear what everybody has in their glass and, and bring some questions to both Derek and Douglas. So cheers to everyone. I hope everyone's safe. Cheers. I have my my coffee mug right here with me, the, the afternoon espresso. Hey, Douglas was drinking just just so he he would he did not have an espresso in front of him. Just FYI. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. I see Barbie. You are in, in 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 Texas. So sorry about that. So my my first interaction, Derek, with with Knightsbridge was several years ago, and and it was probably because of your neighbor across the street, where someone said. Yeah, uh, you know, Sir Peter makes fantastic wines, but do you know about this place across the street? And I, and I didn't. And so then someone turned me on with, to some of the red wines and I was absolutely blown away. So walk us through the portfolio, if you will, and kind of your involvement with the winery and, and what, I, I, I know I had a bunch of questions for Douglas uh, and he, yeah. I may still ask him that, but tell me a little bit about the winery itself and what drew you to go to work there. Yeah, so let me let me start with Knights Valley. You mentioned Peter Michael, who is uh, one of the namesake wineries in Knights Valley, and we are just across the way. But Knights Valley is such a great AVA. It's the southeasternmost AVA of Sonoma County, just miles across the line from Napa. And what makes this place so special and so unique, as you can see in the picture behind Martin, is you see all the curvatures, you see all the different slopes, you see a valley floor, you see mountains. So it really has all of this different topography making for lots of different personalities of wine. And I think that's a great segue into the Knightsbridge portfolio. So at the higher end we have in our property, we have our Cabernet, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and what we really pride ourselves on is different characteristics. We have different soil types. We have different clonal selections. So it gives me and Douglas quite a bit of material to work with. 
And what we really, really try to do with our brand is bring you the truest expression of that beautiful property that you could see behind Martin. So at the upper end of our portfolio, we have our vineyard collection wines, and these are single block, single clone Cabernets that we make off of our um, property. So each of these are dedicated to a different clone and they are named after things that are, things that are special to our owners, owners and items that tie into the past. So I'm be happy to call in Wood. Derek, I'm going to pause right there for a second because now you're having a little bit of audio challenges and I don't know if, if Douglas is on or not uh, and that could be the co conflict but uh, one thing that I think is neat with regards to Knights Valley and Douglas really illuminated this fact for me when we were just talking about it, is, is normally you think of Knights Valley is, I mean, please keep in mind, folks, we're actually further up than Calistoga. So you kind of think that it's much hotter up there. And, and how could you grow Sauvignon Blanc? How could you grow Chardonnay type of stuff? But, but as Douglas mentioned, from a climate perspective, uh, it is really one of the, Knights Valley is one of the only AVAs where you, and for all three of those varieties, you can actually produce world-class wines and there's not an AVA like it. So expand a little bit about, about that, because I know you were talking about some of the topography with regards to what grows where in the estate. Yeah, absolutely. So Douglas does mention, mention it well, but Knights Valley is part of the Sonoma um, Sonoma County and what happens and when you're close to the ocean similar to the rest of Sonoma is you get a lot of coastal influence so a lot of very cool nights and cool mornings and as you guys may know in valleys this cold air this fog this coastal influence tends to just sit on our property and walking through the vines during harvest you know you need a jacket like I have on right now in the morning that leads to the preservation of you know, such great flavors, but then similarly to Napa and Calistoga, where you think about more heat, that comes in in the late afternoon. So I'll be wearing something like this until about noon when I'm walking through the vineyard. And then in the early afternoon, that's when it starts to turn into that beautiful California sunshine that you really think about. And what the cold and the hot do is makes for a perfectly balanced ripening curve and leads the full development of flavors for Guess what? Not only Sauvignon Blanc, but also Chardonnay and Cabernet. And mixed with the topography of each of these, you can manipulate those weather patterns to really get each variety right. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I found interesting is the soils. And, yes. and we've talked, this may sound kind of geeky for a, a wine curator, a digital wine curator, such as Cellar Angels, to talk soils, but we do kind of marvel at, at what varieties grow and what soils. And, and Douglas was kind enough to share a picture of, of some of the soils and, and some of the typical soils. That doesn't look like, to a Midwest boy growing up familiar with corn and soybeans, that doesn't look like great, great nutrient soil right there. So, so tell me about the soil, the rock structures, what you have, and, and kind of how that works with the vines and the varieties that you've chosen. Yeah, so one thing that you were asking me about is what drew me to Knightsbridge, and I think the property, the soil types and the topography are really, really what drew me to this. Just variation and uniqueness to every plot of land that we have on the vineyard. So what you guys are looking at, this is a volcanic rhyolite that is on our Western facing slope in the vineyard. 
So these are very rocky, very loamy. It's almost like dusty soils. If you could imagine, as you could see, there's some dust kind of sticking to the fingertips there. So these make for very well-drained soils. And we actually have some of our Cabernet planted on these vines. So the clone <laughs> that we have, I know it's, it's just a number to you guys, but it's clone 169. And what this ended up making in wine is this really exotically spiced sort of Western Asian influence cab, if you can imagine. So lots of um, more so like ginger notes, lots of baking spices, followed by some dim sum plum or purple black notes, as opposed to, you know, a more fruity, chocolatey sort of cab. Oh, I, I like it. And I do, we, I talked at the beginning about how magical this area is. And just to give folks an idea of the topography, you can kind of see it behind me, but but I think this picture also gives a little bit of a, of a better overview of the estate so that you can see the rolling hillsides tucked up against the mountain. And you've got the forest, you've got the vineyards, the whole ecosystem all working together with that crazy complex soil that is, it looks like a lunar surface. I don't know how many more space references I can pull into the, to the session this evening. Keep them coming. Um, keep them going. But, but I think this, this actually, Douglas and I were talking about this the other day when we were prepping for this is if you drive from Calistoga to Healdsburg, you'll go right by the property and you'll go, you go on 128 and I've made this drive. Sean Manning, I see that you are uh, in, in the attendees. This, Sean, you've made this drive with me as a matter of fact. And, and this is what you're driving through for about 40 minutes over to Healdsburg, maybe less than that if you're, if you're cooking. And it is absolutely spectacular. One of the finest drives in the country. I chalk it up to Pacific Coast Highway type of stuff, but it's like this for seriously 20 some odd miles of just beautiful hillsides. But this is a, a pretty picturesque place that's producing pretty picturesque wines. And so how long have you been there, Derek? So I have been with Knightsbridge for just over two years and recently got promoted to the assistant winemaker. Oh, well, the promotion then negates my question about what kind of uh, supervisor, mentor, boss Douglas is. So I guess I, I, we don't we won't get into that. Sounds I'll, good, though. I'll, I'll pay him the compliments anyway. Um, <laughs> Douglas, Douglas Daniel Act is not only one of the best leaders. I won't even call him a boss because that would not be the right word. One of the best leaders, one of the best mentors I've had and has such wide ranging experience with plethoras of varieties across many AVAs and even in France as well. Um, he is a very kind man. He knows how to make really good wine. And I'm you know, very thankful that I get to learn under him and help add to the quality that Knightsbridge is delivering to you guys. Well, and it, it's, and I, and, you know, all kidding aside, to, to say that he has an encyclopedic memory of experience as it relates to soils, varieties, elevations and that sort of stuff could be an understatement. It, the wines he crafts and, and coaxes, you know, from the vineyards are really spectacular. And I think specifically as it relates to the red program and the Chardonnays, it, it's so funny because Chardonnay has had kind of a pendulum type of existence over the last 15 or so years. And, and you don't know myself from, you know, Adam or Jane or Jeff Greasy, but, um, we owned a bricks and mortar wine shop for seven years in downtown Chicago. And, and there was that pendulum thing where, where everybody loved Chardonnay, then it was too oaky and too buttery, and then getting back into the Burgundian style. And, and I, I want you to kind of share with us about 
what style you're after, how you achieve it, you know, some of the barrel program and, and fermentation process, uh, like top to bottom, what are you looking for stylistically in a Chardonnay? Well, I think that is such a great question, but I, I'd like to start at the, the vineyard because I think that's where, you know, ideally the end product begins. So in the vineyard, our, our vineyard team and consulting viticulturists do such a great job almost doing any sort of pre-sorting, doing any sort of quality adjustments in the vineyard prior to harvest. So making all of those yield adjustments, um, working with the right clone, making sure that the sunlight gets on the clusters just right to develop the flavor. So I really need to give thanks to them and Douglas for leading the way on that. But as far as our production goes, we end up harvesting in the middle of the night. And, you know, I was talking about that cold Sonoma fog earlier. I'm wearing this jacket and something else on top of it at 2 a.m. in the morning because it gets down to roughly 38 degrees, maybe 34 degrees in the vineyard while we're picking. So from there, we'll go straight to the winery. We whole cluster but press it. Let me, let me back up a second because the picking at night thing is yeah. you're not just doing it as kind of a stunt. Why, why some wineries don't do it, some wineries do do it, you know, compare and contrast why is it, is it has to do with the fruit set and it's just shut down right there and you want it at that optimal exposure. Walk, walk me through why at night at 2.30 in the morning. Just because we like to wake up early. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. um, we end up harvesting in, like I said, the middle of the night or the beginning of the morning because that's how you really preserve some of the freshness in the fruit. So somewhat along the lines of what you were saying, where you really just stop it right where you want it. So a lot of the uh, metabolic processes shut down at night. So we do get the freshest, we get the coldest process for fruit because when you start to expose juice to heat, that's when a lot of microbial reactions and other chemical reactions begin to heat up, which aren't necessarily geared towards quality. So keeping the fruit cool from the vineyard to the press to the tank and then into the barrel is an optimal way of preserving some of the fresh aromas and delicacy in Chardonnay and almost all wine grapes specifically. And then when it gets to the, um, do you, actually let me back up from there. You, cause I know there was plans to build uh, processing, pressing, aging on site. Has that been completed or still, So where, yeah, where's I'm, that? I will give you guys the, uh, the small construction update. So you had mentioned Peter Michael, um, they're really the only winery in Knights Valley at the moment, but there is another winery that is currently under construction. Um, I actually just got off a meeting about some equipment prior to this phone call. So it's, it's coming together on the property and we will be harvesting and crushing there or producing wine there this year. And then it'll be open for hospitality in late 2021. So excited. Very to nice. Have so kind of some breaking, some breaking news this evening from Derek. Yeah. Some, some breaking <laughs> news. I, I've seen this process develop over the past, I guess, two and a half years, ever since I've been at the winery. And I am so excited to be a part of history. So excited to be a part of improving Knightsbridge even further than it already is. And so excited for our owners because I know this is a, a dream unfolding right in front of them. And just because you mentioned that, I'm going to launch our first poll question to the audience. And you can't answer yet, Derek, but you will, you will be part of the reveal. And so 
everybody can get ready. The Knights Valley became an AVA actually 38 years ago in 1983, which just seems amazing. As of January 1st, 2021, it now has how many wineries? Two, 21, 37, 41, or 47. And I'm going to continue drinking <laughs> this fantastic Chardonnay. We're gonna give this about 10 more seconds. I see that Annette Barger has wished you congratulations on the promotion. Thank you this so is much. their first zip. We are a group of sipsters here at their home in Sarasota, Florida. Not a lot of freezing warnings down in Sarasota. One of uh, probably few spots in the country. All right, five, four, three, two, one. So for those of you that were paying attention, Derek actually just sort of revealed the answer. But there are, in fact, only two wineries in all of Knights Valley. And that, to me, is shocking for an AVA that's almost 40 years of age. But what, I guess what makes the difference is there is that there's, what, 40-plus vineyards? Yeah, so there's, I would say, roughly around 40 and probably closer to 50 now different vineyard or land owners that sell grapes to various properties. Um, and, you know, two wineries, I think we're at one and a half right now because it hasn't been built quite yet. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I, I have seen pictures of a cave. I, I have seen some of the uh, early construction stuff. So it's very, very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Out of curiosity, where did you come from before Knights Valley? I'm mean, sorry, before Knightsbridge. Uh, are you talking about winery? Winery. Yeah, so I got my master's from UC Davis in viticulture and enology, did uh, more than a couple interns around or internships around the valley, but ended up landing full time in the luxury department for Trincaro, working with, I want to say, 20 different brands. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, I was the, uh, I guess you could call me the data jockey for all the 20 winemakers, which was a, a really fun job that set me up for success moving forward. No, that's awesome. Well, and quite a, quite a leap, quite honestly, to go from that to where you are at Knightsbridge right now is, 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 is pretty nice little jump. Yeah, Knightsbridge has, has been a dream come true ever since uh, my first interview. And one thing that they always joke with me about is I've gone through 12 interviews before I, I actually got the job, which was I, I, I still can't believe I had that many interviews, but it all paid off in the end. So No, that's amazing. Out of curiosity, how, what is the total case production of the winery now? A total case production. It, you know, we source strictly off of our estate, so it is vintage dependent, but around three to 4,000 cases. Okay, so clearly uh, still in, in kind of the boutique style. Any yeah. aspirations to grow beyond that? Or this is kind of the comfort zone right now and where you want to be? You know, that is such a great question. We, we are such based off the estate. So we are in the middle of replanting and we do plan to grow, but we never plan to outgrow our estate. We're always going to keep it with a quality focus. We're going to keep increasing the quality levels out of the fruit and vineyards that we own and really just focus in on that. And I, I know 
and you probably know the story as well. I believe there's a, the author escapes me. Maybe it's Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the book escapes me, that's for sure. But talking about the historic aspect of this vineyard behind me, because he wrote about this a hundred plus years ago and, and sitting on, was he sitting on Mount St. Helena, St. Helena looking down and, and what vineyards was he specifically looking at? Yeah. So um, if you guys ever get the chance to do the hike up Mount St. Helena, I recommend it because you get some of the most spectacular views of Russian River Valley, Knights Valley and Napa Valley. But up from Mount St. Helena, I believe that Stevenson was writing about seeing, you know, Tokalon, Dr. Grain, some of the Beckstopper vineyards. And then he ended up writing specifically about Knights Valley. And I know from experience sitting up at the point which he was sitting up at that you could see our, down on our property. And, you know, I think that we were sharing the same view if I had to guess. Well, that'd be pretty cool. And do yeah. you remember the name of the book? I know Douglas mentioned it. And now I can't remember it. Oh, gosh. Um, I would have to look it up. I'm so sorry. I'm surprised in 12 interviews that wasn't one of the exam questions. <laughs> yeah, one of the 50 multiple choice <laughs> questions. No, and I don't know if Douglas is on. And, and it, Oh, he dropped. Okay. Uh, he was having some audio and video technical difficulties. But I, I think that's pretty fascinating because that is a special place up there. And so he was talking about Stevenson writing this book and looking down and and essentially the magic of Tokalon and Dr. Crane, these vineyards, and those vineyards are still where you source the red fruit today. Yeah, so we we ended up sourcing Dr. Crane and Tokalon, some of the Beckstopper vineyards, um, up until 2013, which right. I'm, I was always happy when one of those gets opened up. But ever since then, we have decided to make a total and complete focus on our estate vineyard. So really just honing in on the property, honing in on all of these different uh, aspects, all of the different soil types, all these little microclimates within the vineyard to just turn up the quality. You know, and, and we've talked a little bit about your neighbor across the street and kind of the special uniqueness of this property. So I'm gonna jump over to everyone's favorite segment of the program every single week. And that's, and that's the, the quick rapid fire exam questions. No, I'm just teasing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a Google Earth time. They've now abbreviated it in the, in the chat. It just says GE and we're not talking about General Electric. So let's Google Earth time. So this is what we're going to do, Derek. And this is kind of, for those of you that are new sipsters this evening, welcome. This is a mainstay in the Cellar Angels Friday night events at Google Earth because we want to show you a little bit about where we specifically focus and have only focused for the last 10 years. So obviously we recognize this beautiful blue orb that we are continually taking advantage of and it's fighting back now with freezing temperatures over two thirds of the country. Uh, but for wine region for the for Cellar Angels and our crew, we focused solely on Napa and Sonoma. And as it relates to, I have to get some of these out of here. You've got Napa County right here and Sonoma County. And as Derek knows, there's not a wine region in the world worth its salt that doesn't have a maritime influence. So I don't care if you're up in the lake region of Niagara, Canada, there's a lake there that's influencing the vineyards. And it's amazing how you can trace it, whether you're in Rioja, Mendoza, all around the world, there's gonna be a maritime influence. Now we talked about Peter Michael 
And it's interesting to see exactly where the Peter Michael Winery is. You can see it's just above the property line or the county line, I should say, right here of Napa and Sonoma. So this is actually the Peter Michael Winery down here. This is the Peter Michael Vineyards up here. And it is on this hillside on both sides of the hill. You can see at the base of the mountain, it's a pretty special place from a vineyard standpoint. They've been, and Derek, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, they've been producing wines off that vineyard estate since the eighties, late eighties. And, and I'm actually kind of thankful that they aren't over here above this line because the wines would be two or three times more expensive than they currently are. Uh, you don't have to agree or disagree, Derek. I mean, that's fine. I know you're partial, but if you look at kind of the placement of this property in in relation to the valley, this gives you a pretty good angle. Looking down valley, uh, the Peter Michael property is right here. And you look all the way down past Calistoga, you know, down through Napa Valley, all the way down to Napa, the city itself. And, and Knightsbridge is just right over here across the valley. And if we take a little spin over there, you can see just how close they are and then how cool and how the topography of this behind me and these rolling hillsides, the estate, just has to be really, Derek, from your standpoint and, and Douglas's as well, kind of, you almost have to be giddy and excitement that you get to draw from such a really cool, pristine area. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I cannot speak enough about Knights Valley and prior to taking this job, I had only been introduced to a few of the more popular Knights Valley wines. Um, once again, I was fresh out of college, so nothing too expensive, but the Knights Valley Cabs, Knights Valley Chardonnays and Sauvignon Blanc all have this great freshness to them just because of that coastal influence that Martin was mentioning earlier. Yeah, it's, it's a cool place. And so, uh, Route 128 is right here, goes right back down in the Calistoga and you can just travel it and it goes all the way around, around into Healdsburg. You, you'll pass right by several wineries that you're familiar with. Uh, the last big one that you're gonna pass on the way into Healdsburg is I think Jordan. And, and so these are all fairly far North wineries, but this is just a spectacular area that doesn't get a lot of traffic, which is great, doesn't. Uh, have a lot of tourism because there's no hotels or resorts or anything out here. You're going to stay, the closest you're going to stay is Calistoga or St. Elena. And, and it really is just postcard picture pretty, like you can't even imagine. I mean, behind me is, is not uh, photoshopped. <laughs> it's, it's just really that gorgeous. Yeah. And I know walking through the vineyard at some of my old jobs in Napa, you could hear cars going by on the freeway. You could hear you know, forklifts honking in the background. You could hear all sorts of, I guess, noise pollution for lack of better terms. And yep. one thing that I, I don't think I have ever felt so connected to nature, so connected to the land as when I'm walking through our vineyards. And I'm sure that speaks for all of Knights Valley just because of the um, sort of serene, isolated nature of the ABA. Mark Shalinor, Mark Shalinor with the winning answer, the Silverado Squatters. Robert ding, Louis ding, Stevenson. Ding. Yes, exactly. Ding, ding, ding. Mark, Derek doesn't know it yet, but you have a magnum of the red wine coming to you, the Cabernet. It's an incredibly, Douglas isn't even on any longer. So Derek, you can authorize that. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign off on that for you. <laughs> so 
the the property is fantastic. The soil type is unlike anything around because you can produce, like we talked about earlier, the Sauvignon Blanc, the Chardonnay, and the Cabernet, world-class varietals from one location. And so what are the challenges in all of that? That is a wonderful question. The challenges to having such diverse one clones, two soils, three exposures is really matching the style of the fruit and matching these viticultural practices to coerce all of the quality that you can out of them. So really fine tuning these personalities to show the best expressions of themselves is, is the challenge. And, you know, me being two and a half year or two, just over two years into Knight's Bridge, I'm still learning all of the little pockets, all of the little nooks and all the crannies that our vineyard has just because you know, you guys saw one of the three soil types that we have on the vineyard. Um, as you can see, there are tons of elevations. Um, there are tons of different aspects and really just fine tuning all that is, is a challenge, but it's a challenge worth exploring. No, and it's, I would imagine it's, it's gotta be trial and error almost every single season with certain things because stylistically from the Chardonnay, what, you know, what, what about the soils you talked about kind of the rhyolite, which makes it, it special from a well draining standpoint, uh, but Chardonnay, you think of Burgundy and, and those types of chalky soils and things like that. Is there anything there that you're like, okay, this is, this is pretty darn special. Let's not screw this up as it relates to Chardonnay and from a growing standpoint. And then from a fermentation standpoint, you're like, all right, maybe we get to play around this year. We'll do concrete egg. We'll do something, you know, a little bit of oak, maybe then stainless. And then I mean, walk me through kind of the philosophy on all of that. Yeah. So talking specifically about the 2018 Knights for the State Chardonnay and what makes that wine different. I, so we have some 30 plus year old head trained Chardonnay vines on alluvial soil that are right next to the creek that we have that's running through the property. And that's where that wine ends up coming from. So I look to Douglas because he is the Chardonnay master, as you could probably tell from some of the conversations, very expert, very expertly trained in Burgundian style and California style as well. And one thing that I've learned from him is we always let the vines do the talking. It is our job not to ruin the quality that we have in the vineyard through winemaking techniques. So right. you know, being younger in the industry, I'm always looking towards new things and, hey, okay, let's do some of this, let's do some of that. And Douglas always reels me back like, the vineyard has all the quality that it needs. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I believe that those 30 plus year old head trained Chardonnay vines on this sort of well-drained loamy alluvial soil really do produce such a lively minerality. And as far as the oak program going through ML, that is all vintage dependent as we see it mm. in the growing season. So while we do have a, a full range of Coopers, I think we work with probably close to 20 Cooperages from Burgundian and Porto wow. houses and not even to mention the seven forests that we source from and the amount of toast levels. Um, we really get to put these puzzle pieces together for the Chardonnay and make it into the final project. And crafting the final blend is my favorite part because it is 
it's never let's take this whole block and put it together it's always okay let's get this barrel and this barrel and this barrel and almost looking at it from a micro sort of a micro blending view which i think well, really makes the wine special and I'm just jotting down a couple of questions because as you were speaking, there's a couple of things that I think are incredibly noteworthy. The first one, when you said 30 year old head trained vines and, and interestingly enough, 30 year old Chardonnay vines are unheard of in the United States, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the average probably in Napa and specifically Carneros in, in the regions, maybe in over in, in the Sonoma Russian river area, 12, 15, yeah. you, years of age and it's which is ironic from a standpoint of in Bordeaux and you probably know this I mean the the average age of the vines is somewhere around 32 34 years of age and here it's it's sadly not but it's it's fascinating to, to learn that the shard vines are 30 years of age so you're right they've been around they know what they're doing let's not try to screw that up they're, yeah. they're okay and, and so there's that constant dynamic and balance where you want to try something, but then have the patience to dial it back and, and kind of let the vine do its work and, and get out of the way. That, that was um, one aspect I wanted to comment on because I think that's fantastic. I did not know the shard vines were that old. Yeah. The so other thing- block, um, block eight, which makes up the Cadia State wine that you all are enjoying right now. That's, that's awesome. The final blending that you talk about uh, I just have this vision that this is like a mad scientist type of thing with beakers and, and samples all over tables. Cause you've got, like you mentioned the, the number of coopers, the number of barrels. We haven't even, we never even talked about the toast regimen. Yeah. Uh, anything about that. So who participates in that? <laughs> um, that is, so one thing that we, we um, introduced into the winemaking practice is we taste every, like during harvest, I have tasted every single barrel twice a day. So I, I, I get very close to these barrels. I, I know them each by first name, if you will. Uh, we get a, a strong relationship. So by the time that it comes to blending, when you have so much experience with each individual vessel, whether that be stainless or barrel or concrete, you you know where they belong, or at least you have a good idea. And Douglas's guidance in that with all of his experience with these cooperages, even working at some of the cooperages in his days right. in Burgundy, he has such a good I, such a good feel for where these wines are going from day one to, you know, right up before bottling. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame that he had some technical difficulties because I did want him to go into his background because it's ridiculously impressive. And yeah. aside from the fact that he grew up in Detroit and went to Michigan State, uh, but he's a huge uh, Jonathan Taves fan because I grew up in Chicago and, and, you know, he's a Detroit Red Wing fan, I would imagine, but he, he likes Jonathan Taves. So that's great. However, you know, 2014 Wine Spectator called him the winemaker to watch. He has, uh, I don't know how long he was in France. He went to university there. And I, I mean, his background, ladies and gentlemen, is, is really exceptional. And to, to see and taste what he's crafting right here is kind of special. And, and, and we're humbled by it, quite honestly. And Derek, we thank you for jumping in. I, I wanted to, since you're a newbie, at two and a half years, still, still a rookie, I'm sure you're right. Yes, um, of course. You've got some neighbors within a, I don't know, seven mile radius. Let's just take 
Peter Michael, for example. And then you go a little bit further to Calistoga and you've got Bo Barrett and Chateau Montalena. Mm -hmm. And and Bo has, I think, has something like 42 vintages under his belt, knows a thing or two about Chardonnay. Do you guys ever consult? So one thing that I have learned to love about the community that is Napa and Sonoma Valley is you know everybody through one person, if not directly, um, which is it's such the a, one. It's one degree of Kevin Bacon. Exactly. Yeah. Um, such a small community. So very often, um, you know, due to recent circumstances in the world, we haven't been doing very close tastings. But one thing that we will often do is compare similar Chardonnays or compare the vintage or talk about, you know, our experiences this last vintage and find similarities between and always, always sort of drive off the quality that each other are making. So it's such a, such a great area in that there's such great wines coming out of so many different wineries and such different styles that we're each really just pushing each other in the right direction. So quality is always of mind. We're always looking to learn from each other, always looking for, you know, that new barrel or the new yeast or, you know, whatever the new technology or new thing is or a way to refine our old techniques to really just keep pushing the envelope. Have you found, and it's interesting because I see that in a lot of different sports I mean, you can certainly see that in basketball. You can see it in football. You can where the where the young guns and the rookies come in, and the and the wily veterans are like, "Hey, take it easy, young guy. You know, we've been here a long time. I've got four world championship rings. I think we know what we're doing." But you're right. You have to push the envelope. And have you seen anything from a technological side of things or a fermentation side of things to where the the more seasoned veterans are going, "Okay, you know what? That actually that does make a lot of sense. That we hadn't considered before." Yes. Um, so one thing that you mentioned, and I'm sure we're all aware of, is the, the Mars landing or the, that they recently did. And, you know, we as humans, we as a society have such technological advancements in the world, and it is spectacular what we could do. And I think that the wine industry is just getting a pinch of that. It's a very, very specific market. So the technologies that have been recently introduced to the winery and to the vineyard side of things are, you know, this is really just the beginning of where our quality starts. So one thing that I could think of is optical sorters. So when you are harvesting red fruit and specifically Cabernet, we have robots that kick out all the fruit based on their color and ripeness. So we could tone that into our exact specifications so that we end up getting the most true expression of the vineyard and take out any deviation from that. And that's just one small example of that sort of um, just high definition, sort of extremely detailed, meticulous winemaking and viticultural approach that'll only drive quality in the right way. Well, now it's interesting you talk about optical sorters because I, I remember four or five years ago or so when, when they started coming on the scenes, maybe it was a little longer ago, but there was yeah. only one or two in the valley. Now, yeah. ha have, they, have they come down in price to where they're a little bit more widespread? Yeah, absolutely. So they are still um, a very pretty penny is what we'll call it, but they're it, getting, I think people are realizing that the increase in quality is well worth the money spent. So it's a, a very good investment. That's pretty cool. So essentially, if anybody hasn't seen an optical sorter, it is something to behold from a technological standpoint, because first of all, if you look at 
in, in my opinion, I, I think that there's a bunch of guys sitting around, maybe a little bit too much wine on board going, you know, there's got to be an easier way to do this. Yeah. What about if we take a picture of the perfect grape and then we have robotic puffs of air knock the grapes that don't look like this grape out of the sequence? I mean, is that a fair characterization of kind of how this machine operates? Yeah, it, that's exactly how they work is using, you know, I won't get too into the details, but infrared imaging to track the color and size and plenty of other specifications to determine what goes into the tank and what doesn't. See, in high school, we would call that the curve buster because we would not like the optical sorter because it's only picking the best students. And, and those of us that were not the best students would be cast aside. So I'm just drawing an educational analogy here that... I'm not a big fan of optical sorters from a, from a grading system <laughs> or, or scholastically. They're good and for uh, enological purposes. Perfect. Perfect. Enological purposes only. Uh, but you're right. So, so that technology uh, absolutely will up the ante, if you will, and up the quality level, which is fantastic. Has there been anything that you've seen that, you know what, people aren't changing. This is the way we've done it for 40 years and I'm going to do it this way. And, or, or too many things have you seen like that? You know, that's, that is a really good question. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind for something that we haven't changed and something that maintains quality is hand harvesting fruit. So there are big old mechanical sorters, essentially, you know, monster trucks that you could drive through the vineyard that shake and vibrate the vines until the fruit falls off but i don't think anything will ever replace the amount of quality maintained through hand harvesting a vineyard by having somebody physically touching every single cluster and placing it in a bin to be delivered to the winery it'd be extremely hard to replicate that sort of care that sort of attention to detail yeah there's uh and you can Google and see pictures of the industrial winery, if you will, where I, I think the only time a human is involved is when they're signing paychecks, because otherwise it's just all mechanization uh, from start to finish. And these shaking machines that you talk about, I mean, they're the size of huge semis that go through the vineyard, shaking four or five rows at a time and just pummeling the fruit. Uh, not a lot of delicate uh, hand harvesting in those situations. Is there anything that has surprised you in the industry uh, that you've been in that you would like to change? Ooh, that's a, another very big question. I think that the wine industry, and while we talk about all of these great technologies and great things that we're saying produce quality, I think as, as a whole, we are very skeptical to introduction of new technology. So it takes a while. I'm sure optical sorters and different sorts of agricultural fields have been used for decades. And I'm sure they have only been introduced to wine or, you know, made popular the last four or five years, because as an industry in whole, we are very tied into tradition, which, you know, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. We're very tied into culture. We have, you know, very strong ties to these old world sort of connections, which I think are tremendously useful. But I think at some points, similarly to technology, could be almost stifling our growth. So I see the worth in having these ties, but I see that they could be getting in the way as well. You know, it's, that's a great point. Really, really solid point because there is a dichotomy of balance there between technology and the harmoniousness of staying in touch with nature. I mean, every single one of us has a cell phone or a smartphone rather. And 
And there is something to be said for the enhanced productivity, the ability to not only have a phone, a map, a camera, a, you know, a reservation system for dining all in, in the palm of your hand. But there's also on the flip side of that for being able to say something like, well, you've never stopped and asked for directions. You don't communicate with people anymore. You've lost the human connection type of thing. So there is certainly a balance there. And I think from a wine industry perspective, I hope you always are able to strike the balance where the connectivity to the land and the honoring of the land is never lost, regardless of, of technology. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely key in you know maintaining quality. So one great example you brought up is you know, the cell phone. When's the last time that anybody here has written a letter? Um, I know for me, it's been quite some time. So I think Knightsbridge as a winery, if I can make an alliteration, we are, we're writing letters um, while we're harvesting fruit. So we are really taking that old school approach to hand harvesting to starting at 2, or 2 a.m. in the morning to taking all of these steps that mean something that have a great amount of worth in terms of wine quality, in terms of wine culture. And then we're also taking strides for, you know, increasing quality in production, which Blake mentioned earlier, the optical sorters or automated pump overs, which is something we're installing in the winery as well, which um, essentially from an iPhone or from a computer, we could control the maceration of our wine, which is great for an isolated place like Knights Valley. I know fires or of a of concern in california so just in case that something like that comes up wine quality will not be compromised so we're taking that fine balance of art tradition science and really fine-tuning it for our winemaking process no and, and i think that's right there on the you hit the nail on the head art tradition and, and science and, and how do we fine-tune that balance i do want to show people a picture of an optical sorter yeah so you get an idea of, of what these um, puppies look like. So I will bring that up or the production studio is gonna bring it up. There we go. Oh, it's a video. Those are the pups, okay. And that's, that's 16 times slow motion. Yeah, these machines are moving really fast. Um, and one thing that I could see from this video, so normally you would not optical sort white grapes, but what you could see in this is you see these grapes that are brown getting you know, blasted to the reject pile while all the grapes that match a certain parameters are going through. And that's the idea. So you wouldn't be able to see that as well with red grapes because they're all different shades of red while these are green versus brown. And you see anything that doesn't have its shape that's off colored that, you know, maybe a stick is going to the rejects while all of the fruit that's set to your specifications is going in the tank. And this is that really meticulous attention to detail that is gonna, you know, take winemaking and keep increasing quality in the right direction. You're on mute, sorry. I was going to say, I imagine those are not underneath the Christmas tree. Those things look expensive. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, yeah, a pretty penny is what I'll say. Uh, yeah, I, I want to remind people that when you're in wine country and let's be honest, we're going to be there soon because uh, the vaccinations are flying off the shelf and we just need to get them in people's arms because 
folks like Derek and Douglas want us to come visit their bank in Calistoga. Out of curiosity, how did the winery get started? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so I know that the winery was started in 2006 when our owners came across this gorgeous property. And what originally started as a, a viticultural um, project, which essentially means selling, selling the fruit, no winemaking, they realized that they had such a special property underneath them that they figured, okay, well, we can't just keep giving this stuff out. <laughs> we're, we're the suckers in this situation. So they decided to end up making wine from the property a couple years later, as well as making stuff from, or making Cabernet from some of the namesake vineyards in Napa, like the Bexdoctor Tokalon or Dr. Crane. And it's gone from, you know, well, this idea has progressed significantly from the beginning, but, you know, we started with a focus of selling off fruit in 2006. And now we are so honed into our estate. We're building a winery on our estate. We are learning that what we have is truly special and we need to be the, I guess, the carriers of this property to you guys. The steward, you, you need to be yeah. the steward of the land. Speaking of, of, of the owners, I have one more poll question for the audience. And Derek, you may, I'll be curious if you know the, the answer to this one as well. Um, so the final poll question of the evening, the origin of the Knightsbridge name is a combination of which two elements? Knights Valley and Cambridge Associates of Boston, Knights of the Round Table and Bridge Over Troubled Water because they are big fans of Simon and Garfunkel. Knights of Columbus and a founder being a champion bridge player. Boogie Knights and Bridge Over the River Kwai, two of the owner's favorite films. And you could not have two more diverse films for the record. And then Knights Valley and a bridge on the property or metaphorically a bridge between Napa and Sonoma. So five very logical answers. And actually one answer has a potential half credit since, but we're gonna use an optical sorter and kick that answer out because there, there are no half credits in, in that fashion. And then we're gonna let Derek get on with his Friday night. No, I'm, this, is, this is the best Friday night I could, could possibly have. <laughs> I'm just missing my glass of wine, unfortunately. Uh, we're gonna give this 10 more seconds Five, four, three, two, I see some answers changing, and one. I like it. We've got something in every category. Mm. So, so interestingly enough, answer number one, there is a Cambridge Associates, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That is, I guess you could call it um, the company that our owners ended up starting. So who actually, in the chat session, who actually picked Knights Valley and Cambridge Associates? Reveal yourself. Let's see some honesty here. There was only one person who chose that. I Debbie Long. Debbie, congratulations, because I just want to let you know the answer is incorrect. <laughs> but I am very happy that you actually chose that. Uh, Knights of the Round Table, Bridge Over, the, <laughs> bridge over Troubled Water. Uh, that's that's not correct either. Those of you that chose Knights Valley and a bridge on the property, the, the, the metaphorical bridge between Napa and Sonoma, you are correct. Is that bridge on the property still there, Derek? 
Correct. Um, so as you come into the gates of our property, like I was mentioning before, that block eight or the Chardonnay that you guys are drinking is along a creek or a riverbed. So we still do have, every time you come to the property, you cross over the bridge that is uh, represented in the name. Outstanding. Derek, I really can't thank you enough for jumping in and allowing Douglas to, to basically call an audible and you know, audio and video technology aside, it's been a, an absolute delight to meet you. And to meet you as well. And, and hopefully I get to see you in person. When I tell people that, you know, they want you to come visit the bank vault, it's because the tasting is on Main Street at the old, is it the old Calistoga Bank or what was it called? Yeah, correct. So it was the old bank that's in Calistoga. It's, you know, classic bank color if you will so what i think of a bank would has that sort of teal white outline and inside it is it's gorgeous i i love the the bank vault because you truly are secluded and one of the most important things about tasting wine is being present with your wine and i think this environment truly allows for that kind of being closed off from the rest of the world it's, it's a pretty cool setting, and there actually is only one entrance and exit to the bank, uh, which could explain why it was never robbed, but it, it, it's a pretty special location, and you would not expect anything less for a, a winery order of magnitude such as Knightsbridge producing the wines that they're producing. Uh, everything, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, is, is par excellence. Uh, the hospitality is off the charts. The wines are off the charts. The follow-up and service is is what you would want to expect and experience from a world-class winery. And, and Derek, again, our our glasses are tipped to you for for jumping in in a pinch and, and helping Douglas out and helping us out and making this a, a fantastic sip event. Yeah, I'm I'm honored to be here and thank you guys so much for taking the time to join us, listen, and hear you know what I know about the story as well as enjoying the wine that we make. It's you know, this is, this is something special. So thank you guys so much. Cheers. Be safe, everyone. We'll see you next week on a very different form of SIP. Highly educational. Cameras on. Be good to one another. Stay safe. And we'll see you next Friday. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Thank you guys so much.